Uh, open your Bibles to the book of Joel. Joel. We're, op- we're going to kick off a new series this morning called Sound the Trumpet. We're going to do a study on the book of Joel. We're going to go through the book of Joel. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? says, the Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Bethuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land. In all your history, has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come. Let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. After cutting, after the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left, and after them came the hopping locusts, then the stripping locusts too. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you wine drinkers. All the grapes are ruined. All your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land. A terrible army, too numerous to count. Its teeth are like lion's teeth. Its fangs like those of a lioness. It's destroyed my grapevines, ruined my fig trees, stripping their bark and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. Weep like a bride dressed in black, mourning the death of her husband. For there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. So the priests are in mourning, the ministers of the Lord are weeping. The fields are ruined, the land is stripped bare, the grain is destroyed, the grapes have shriveled, and the olive oil is gone. Despair all you farmers, wail all you vine growers. Weep because the wheat and barley, all the crops of the field are ruined. The grape vines have dried up, the fig trees have withered, the the pomegranate trees, palm trees and apple trees, all of the fruit trees have dried up, and the people's joy has dried up with them. Dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the altar. Come spend the night in burlap, you ministers of my God, for there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. The day of the Lord is near. The day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. Our food disappears before our very eyes. No joyful celebrations are held in the house of our God. The seeds die in the parched ground and the grain crops fail. The barns stand empty and granaries are abandoned. How the animals moan with hunger. The herds of cattle wander about confused because they have no pasture. The flocks of sheep and goats bleat in misery. Lord, help us. The fire has consumed the wilderness pastures and flames have burned up all the trees. Even the wild animals cry out to you because the streams have dried up and fire has consumed the wilderness pastures. Father in heaven, Joel is for today. This book still speaks today. Father, show us how. Show us what motivated Joel then to hear the word of the Lord so that the word of the Lord would go forth again today. If we need anything, oh God, it's your word. And Father, may it not be compromised. May culture not twist it or fashion it and form it to their liking. But God, may we honor you as mouthpieces of your word, Father, as recipients of your word, Father. May our faith increase because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And may your word accomplish all that you sent it to accomplish because it never returns back to you void. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. For enduring, as I read that whole chapter, 
I just want to say this about this series. I had every intention of heading in another direction prior to Easter because as a pastor, you're always thinking about what, a, what am I going to preach on leading up to Easter? It's, it's a little easier once you hit the, the month of April, but the month of March is a difficult uh, month to, to seek the Lord about and what to share about because it's pivotal because you're working your way towards one of the greatest events on the church calendar, and that is Easter Sunday. And as I began to pray about it, I was reading in the book of Joel, and God spoke to my heart, and I really believe that this is going to be an enormous word for our church. I believe it's prophetic for our church, this area, and I believe it's going to make quite an impact. And uh, just what God has been doing with our women's ministry, with our men's ministry, with our worship ministry, with our youth ministry, I really, really believe that this is going to be a powerful powerful message, and it's going to speak volumes. And so uh, I'm, I'm praying. I don't know what to preach. And I recalled Peter fresh out of the upper room quoting the book of Joel in Acts 2, 14 through 21. So this series was born out of a moment with God, and I believe is going to be an influence on our church like any other. Let me set this up, because it's real important that you understand why Joel wrote what he wrote, um, what, what caused him to hear from God like he did. Prior to Joel's prophecy, there had been a, um, a terrible locust plague, and through this tragic event, Joel saw God's hand of judgment, and through this tragic event, Joel saw the day of the Lord. So understand that. That's why we're reading about locusts and what one wave of locusts doesn't eat up, the next one will, until everything is completely stripped bare. Through this locust plague, and any of you that are from the south, we don't see locust plagues here up north, um, but any one of you from the south, I've talked to people from Texas, they say locust plagues are exactly that. They are a plague. They devour and they eat everything. They eat all the crop. They eat everything. And through this, Joel, as he's witnessing this plague, God begins to speak to him, speaks to him about the judgment of God, speaks to him about the day of the Lord. See, we don't preach on our God being a God of judgment, but how many of you know that he still is? He's a righteous judge. He never ceases to be a righteous judge. But we're afraid to use words like the, 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 the judgment of God because culture is so super sensitive and, you know, we wouldn't want to offend anybody. Well, good grief, if I'm going to offend somebody, I want to offend them with the truth. And so this whole series is meant to offend. No, it's not, but it is meant to challenge you, and it is the truth. In fact, I'll allow that to bear witness with you. So I don't think it would be difficult for me to also be inspired to see the day of the Lord based on the things that are going on in our day and age that it's so easy for us to tune out and to turn a deaf ear to. For instance, human sex trafficking is a picture of the bondage and sin that the world is in. Up to 300,000 Americans under 18 are lured into commercial sex trade every year. 300,000 Americans. We're not talking third world countries. America, 300,000 under 18. Secondly, the opioid epidemic is a picture of the demonic influence and addiction 
that our destructive choices and rejection of God have gotten us. Every day, over 130 people in the U.S. die from overdosing on opioids. Every day, 130 people die from overdosing on opioids. And I've yet to hear anyone say that they started using opioids because they were forced to, that they were held down, that they were crammed down their throat. Choice, rejection. The sexual identity crisis today is a picture of the confusion and loss of identity the world without Christ is experiencing. As of 2019, there are currently 112 genders. 112. Come on. The world we live in today is depraved, it's desperate, and it's denigrated. The world today is confused, self-absorbed, and self-gratifying. So confused are we that one gender definition that I grabbed sums it up, I believe, better than any. Listen to this, gen- this definition. It's called abimagender, which, okay. Abimagender is a gender that is profound, deep, and infinite, meant to resemble when one mirror is reflecting into another mirror, creating an infinite paradox. Okay. I, I, uh, let me read that again. I've probably read this, you know, 20 times. Abimagender is a gender that is profound, deep, and infinite, meant to resemble when one mirror is reflecting into another mirror, creating an infinite paradox. I'm not making this stuff up. You can look it up. You can look it up. That's a gender. And there are people that identify today as abimagender. And this is what they believe their identity is. And even as I'm reading that, I'm thinking there is no identity found in that gender. It's confusing. You can't put your finger on it. It's an infinite paradox as one mirror reflecting into another mirror. What does that even mean, one mirror reflecting into another mirror? It's crazy, crazy. Apart from Christ Jesus, we don't know who we are, what we are, and what we want. Our pursuit of sex and substances is enslaving and killing us. And our inability to provide a culture where identity is clear has crippled us to the point that even going to the bathroom has become a crisis. And I've had my ushers come to me and say, you know, suppose, you know, someone uh, who, whose body says that they're this, but they're claiming to be this, and they want to use, I said, to the best of your ability, make the right call and make sure that they go to the right bathroom. I'm, when I was in high school, I would have claimed to have been a girl, too, to get in the girl's bathroom. <laughs> I mean, I don't think this is rocket science, and so... Um, it's, it's crazy out there, and we are losing our moorings. We're losing our spiritual foundation. We're, we're losing it, and God is calling us back again and again and again, and Christians, you who call yourselves Christians, they're watching you. They're watching you. What are they seeing when they look at you? Are you just as confusing as everything else out there? Why should they make a decision for Christ if Christians aren't pointing them to Christ? 
The Bible says that we're living epistles to be known and read by all men. There should be something about the way that we conduct our lives that makes people thirsty, that makes people hungry for, for what we have because they see something otherworldly about us and they know that we didn't provide what we're enjoying. They know that we're somehow tapped into a source that this world could not provide make available. If the world could, it would charge for it. Probably market it and make it look all sexy. Are we making the world thirsty for Jesus Christ because we're his representatives? And you know, when you come to Jesus, you really don't have the right to just live any way that you want to. You just don't. You must conduct your life in such a way that it causes the people that are watching, and they're always watching, should cause them to be hungry for what you have, for who you've become, because if they've known you for any length of time, they know that you're not the same person they grew up with. There should be something there. Here in chapter one of the book of Joel, I want to address four groups that the prophet Joel addressed. Four groups. He addressed elders, or depending on your, your, your version I'm reading out of the New Living, you'll find leaders or old men, and these were influential people in the community that have lived life and are full of wisdom, retired or nearing retirement. As the, the day to Jesus' return draws near, you're gonna find that wisdom is rejected, and so those that are old and full of wisdom, they're gonna be rejected too. And you're gonna see senior citizens rejected by society when we need their wisdom today more than ever. More than ever. And something's wrong in a society that will not honor those that have lived life that have experienced life, something's wrong. In biblical times, when an elder came, people would stand. They were recognized, they were respected. They were given authority because, doggone it, their life spoke and, and demanded it, almost. But today, respect is hard to find, honor is hard to find, fleeting authority. If you feel like it, you can honor authority. It's a day and age that we're living in. Second group that Joel addressed were drunkards. People who live life unrestrained and under influences. Something's wrong when you are under the influence. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Bible says wine's a mocker, beer's a brawl. Brawler, anyone who's led astray by it is not wise. And if you're claiming to be a Christian and you are consistently coming under the influence, something's wrong. You are no compass at all. You can't even point yourself in the right direction, let alone be used to point somebody else. There must be balance. There must be self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so exercise it and be an example. Because people could be looking at you thinking, man, there's nothing different about you than anybody else. I can find people like you and go hang out at the bar. Be an example. Because we have one life to live and you have one opportunity to be an influence in somebody's life, conduct yourself in such a way that says that you are mindful of the influence that you can be. 
Third group, farmers, hardworking members of society, the backbone, the nuts and bolts of society, the hard workers of society. How hard it must be for them to see people who should not be on welfare on welfare. How difficult it must be. I don't think there are any harder workers than those who till the soil out there. And their, their work ethic is an example. There should always be an individual in your life that inspires you by their work ethic. There should always be somebody that you think about and that you look to because their work ethic was such a role model to you, was such an inspiration to you. You should be able to think of, of parents or, or grandparents or, or, or uncles or aunts, just hardworking people that inspire you and make you realize, man, I've got it a lot better than they ever had it. I wonder how many people, you know, work 40 hours a week anymore these days or act like 40 hours is such a, a difficult thing. Joel was addressing the hardworking farmers. And then lastly, Joel directed or, or, or confronted the priests of his day, the spiritual leaders of his day. And know that he was confronting them to prepare them for the day of the Lord. And so I believe God would confront you as you would fit somewhere in these groups. That he would confront you before Jesus' return. Why? Why would he confront the older and the wise? Because they need to speak up and tell the next generation that they've never seen anything like this and that it's not good what's going on today. And this is why. Because they're wise and they've lived life and people will listen to them. They should listen to them. And I would start by speaking to those in your circle that you have an influence with. And over time, those will grab others and bring them and say, man, you need to talk to my mother, my father. You need to talk to my grandma, my grandpa. You need to talk to do not push away the influence that God has given you in a given community in this area. Don't push it away. You need to speak up. You need to speak up. Please speak up. To the drunkards, I'd say enough is enough. You can't be under the influence and have influence. Let me say it again. You cannot be under the influence and have influence. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And you don't need to run to that you need to run to Jesus. And listen, I'm not saying that having a beer or a glass of wine is sending anybody to hell. I'm saying that if you are under the influence consistently, you have no impact whatsoever. Nobody's coming to you and saying, man, how do you do it? You know, drink that hard and get up and go to work the next day. That's amazing. I want to be like you. Nobody is saying that. And when you are under the influence, God is not going to compete. You've made your choice what influence you want. So what does God got to get you when you're sober? Does God got to get you on your down days? Knock it off. Show some self-control. Show some self-control. And you know what I think? I'll tell you what. I grew up in an alcoholic home. I believe that people that get drunk, they're running and they're burying they're, 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 they're burying something. If you go to any substance for a feeling, you go any, any, to any substance to relieve stress, alleviate anger, anxiety, something's wrong and something's not healthy. And if you won't put yourself in check, then submit yourself to church leadership and ask them to help. But something's off. It's not healthy 
and it's not good, and you are no example to any community anywhere. No one under the influence will ever have influence, and if they do, they won't have it for long. You should be balanced. You should be disciplined. Your life should speak self-control. And if you can't say no there, then doggone it, don't go there. Get the heck out of there. Or we're going to be putting the pieces of your marriage and your family back together soon. I found substances to be the mistress that individuals are having the affair with. I've found substances to be that which would eat away at the foundation of households, destroy households. I've seen it. I grew up in a household riddled with alcoholism. You do not want to end up there. And people that, that are consistently getting drunk are very stubborn and they're very prideful and they don't want to listen to anybody. And let me just say this to you. If you don't have a problem, then why is it getting noticed? Problems are seen and they're noticed. If you don't have a problem, then nobody would be noticing it. If people are coming up to you and they're saying things, I've approached people in the community that don't even attend this church just because I care about them and because they're people of influence and I've said, hey, You've been a little rough lately. Everything okay? Yeah, I, I probably have. Sometimes they thank me for saying something, and other times it's, you know, like, man, that's none of your business. Yeah, well, you're an influence in this community, so it kind of is. Conduct yourself in a way that is Christian. Conduct yourself in a way that says that you fear God. To the farmers, God is God, not your hard work and the fruit of your labor. Don't become prideful. Don't think that you're better than anybody else because you work so hard. Be an example. Try to inspire those young people that are coming out of high school and graduating from college and they expect to start towards the top rung and tell them, get in there, work hard, work your way up. You'll be respected that way. Be an example to them with your hard work ethic. Inspire them to work hard too. And show them the fruit of hard work. Show them the blessing of hard work. Let them know that you'll be able to enjoy this if you work hard. You'll be able to do this if you work hard. You'll be able to see this happen in your life if you work hard. Show them how to handle their finances. So many people were not raised in a home that were instruction regarding finances was given. Dave Ramsey has become a father to many financially. Instruct them, show them how to work hard and handle their finances properly, how to honor God with them and be blessed because of it. And to spiritual leaders, Joel referred to as priests here, I don't know if we can afford to keep our mouth shut much longer. Joel told the spiritual leaders in his day to call people to repent to call him to repent, got in quite a lively discussion at the Kryptonite men's Bible study with a group of men that I was in the room with, 10 plus, you know, guys, and we began to talk about Christians who are sinning. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that we cannot 
judge people, but if you study God's word, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, he said that you can judge those inside the church. So know what that means? That means you see a brother or a sister who's caught in sin, trapped in sin, you have every right to go up to them and say, hey, knock it off or get help, and we're here to help. And a real brother or a real sister in Christ just isn't going to point their finger at you. They're going to say, I want to help. I'm coming to you not because I want another thing on my plate. I'm coming to you because I care. I'm not trying to make my life busier. I'm not trying to increase a workload. I'm not trying to get involved in the affairs of your life, but you are caught and you are trapped in sin, and I want to help. And you can talk to a brother or sister like that because they know what sin is. You tell somebody out there that doesn't know Jesus what sin is, they're going to laugh at you. Yeah, 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 I'm a sinner, and I'm going to sin this weekend. They have absolutely no concept, but a brother or sister in Christ, they know what sin is. They know when they're knower, like my pastor used to say. They know right. They know wrong. They know good. They know evil. You don't have to tell them what good and evil is. You don't have to tell them what right and wrong is. They know. And a brother or sister in Christ that's caught in sin, they know they're doing wrong. They know they're not doing right. And if you love them at all, you'll say something to them. If you're any kind of spiritual leader, you will say something to them. And not in some haughty, arrogant way, but out of a heart that cares and loves people, you'll say, hey, things are getting out of control. This is not good. I've watched too many marriages dissolve because I didn't jump in soon enough. I've seen too many things go south because we, we, we didn't react as quickly, at least as quickly as I thought that I should. And it shouldn't all fall on church leadership. Your Christians in your community, speak up and say something to those who know Christ. Isn't it amazing? You'll see it if you're looking for it in the New Testament. More than once, Paul will say, do good especially to the household of faith. In fact, you'll find Paul again and again and again made the body of Christ priority. Pastor John, what do you do if they don't want to be held accountable? Well, what can you do? But I think you have every right to confront somebody and say, look, you call yourself a Christian. Doggone it, start acting like it. And if you need help, here we are. And especially if you've been where they are, you've, you can pack more punch. I've been where you are. Brother, sister, been where you are. I think it's best when gals confront gals and guys confront guys because we know the deal. We know the deal. And it's real hard for men to snow men about men issues and it's real hard for women to snow women about women's issues because you just know the deal where the opposite sex might, you know, well, hey, you know, it's really not that. Gals know gals, guys know guys. And I think it's healthy in the room last night with the men, man, we got into church protocol for those caught in sin. Protocol would be you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. They don't listen, you bring somebody else with you. They don't listen, you bring a few of you out of love. And I know what it's like to be standing on somebody's doorstep with a group of guys knocking on their door. Pastor John, we're gonna go over to their house. Would you go? Yeah, I'll, I'll come, I'll come. And if they still refuse... 
someone that calls himself a Christian, they're a believer in Jesus. They've worshiped with you, they've prayed with you, and if they still refuse, then the church confronts them. And if it gets to that point, it's never real pretty. And they can say all kind of bad things about church and church leadership and the difference between church leadership and the people that are being confronted is that the people being confronted can go out there and say whatever they want and the church leadership zips its lip and says nothing and just takes it on the chin and they get to say whatever they want. How I would have loved to have said, oh, if you only knew the whole story. Oh, yeah, 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 we're monsters over here. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's worse than that. Oh, yeah, bad. But you can't and you won't because love covers. Love covers, and it covers a multitude. And so if they, if they leave and they've refused brothers and sisters in Christ coming to them, the church confronting them, if they've refused all that, then, then let them go and let them say whatever they want to say, and that's fine. They cannot say that they weren't loved. They can't say that people didn't care. And all you got to do is stand in front of people like that and say, brother, you know, knock it off. You know exactly what's up. You know what's up. You know what's up. Enough. Enough. It's got to stop. Before somebody gets hurt or people already have been hurt, it's got to stop. Whether you're older, wiser, substance abuser, hard worker, spiritual leader, God is God. Joel's name means Yahweh is God. God is God. Why? God is God. Let God be God and every man a liar. God is God. And we will all, each individually, stand before him. And we're not going to have our spouses. We're not going to have mama or papa or grandma or grandpa. We will stand before the living God. And as my pastor used to say, every excuse you have for not serving him will choke in your throat when you look into the eyes of him who knew no sin yet became sin for you. It's time to speak up, church. Time to speak up. Pastor, what if we offend someone? Well, at least you offended them with the truth and love. But I'm sick and tired of getting offended by everything that's going on in society and staying closed mouth. I think it's time that we care enough about the body of Christ first. Believers in Jesus, proclaimed with their mouth, they're believers in Jesus. I say we go to them first. We go to them first. You know what? I love you. I miss you. And I know things are not going right. And we go to them. Takes a little bit of guts, but that's what love does, right? Real love confronts. Better is open rebuke than love carefully concealed. And so I'm commissioning you all in one fell swoop general commissioning, if we can even do that, to, to, to go. The Bible says go and compel them to come in. You know what's amazing? When it speaks of that, and it's talking about the, the, the great wedding feast, the marriage feast, the supper of the Lamb, it never says whether those that were compelling to come in had once been in. I say yes. I say yes. In this area, faith was so foundational that I have known bar owners that have said that in the wee hours of the morning when people had had their fill of drink, they would start singing church hymns because the, 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 the Christian roots run much deeper in this area than you realize. 
And ministers are caving left and right to culture and its demands. We will not cave to culture's demands. There's gotta be a standard, there's gotta be a banner that people can run to. Or what are they running to? If we're like everybody else, there's nothing to run to. They might as well just keep doing what they're doing. And then church becomes like, what, a country club? It becomes a, you know, a, you know some kind of, you know, what are we, the, you know, the, the Moose Lodge, the Elks Lodge, you know, Knights of Columbus, what do we become then? We're, we're a peculiar people. We're God's holy people. And we need to conduct ourselves in such a way that people would want to know who we know and what we have that can be obtained through the one we know. All you've got to give them is Jesus. Doggone it, all you've got to give them. You've lived some life. You know what it's like to be enslaved by substances. You're hardworking and you're spiritual leaders in your community. I say it's time to rise up and speak up. Pastor John, what if they won't listen? Two reasons why people won't listen. There's something about your witness that stinks. I just love you enough to say so. Or they're not going to listen to anybody, but at least you went, at least you, you approached them. And you're watching, and you've been away from church. You need, to, you need to come back, and you need to ask for help if you need it. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. I'm sick of watching 20-somethings die from opioids. I'm sick of hearing about teenagers disappearing to sex trafficking. Parents, man, be mindful of your kids. I'm, I'm tired of, of having hard workers look down their nose at others. Man, encourage them, model them, mentor them. People can be taught to work hard. And I'm tired of, of spiritual leaders that don't have the guts and the courage to say, you are away from God right now and you need to come back to Jesus. I want to pray.